Well, good morning. Uh, glad to see you this morning. Glad to those who are here and those who are watching online. Uh, I said uh, we'll be in the book of Mark, picking up in chapter 6, verse 7 this morning. If uh, you'd like to turn there to follow along. <clears throat> it's been a little while since we've been there. Uh, <laughs> Last time we were there, we went through the first six uh, verses and saw the Lord, uh, you know, return to his hometown and you know, <laughs> experience some rejection there. And uh, but as the Book of Mark does, it just have that pace of the Book of Mark to just move, you know, steadily forward. And as we go into this, these next uh, verses, this next uh, event that takes place here. Uh, we see the, the Lord about to send, send out these guys, these, these apostles, uh, these men, for the first time on their own, you know, that it really is their first mission of their own apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they've been with him for a while, they've seen a lot of things, they've been a part of his ministry in a lot of different aspects, but this is the first time he's sending them out, kind of on their own, taking the training wheels off for the first time. I don't know if you've... Remember, you know, the first time you were on your own, you're on your own, you know, trusted to go out, uh, whatever it was, you know, it was when you're a child, whether you're, you know, trusted to be at home alone, to do a task alone, or as I said, you know, the, doing the first time, you know, riding your bike without the training wheels, so to speak, you know, nothing to, to hold you, uh, you know, you've been, you know, you've been equipped, you've been trained, and now it's up to you, and uh, there's a certain level of excitement, Usually, with those kind of things, a certain level of of anxiety, you know, as well. Uh, we don't know exactly what uh, these men were thinking, but I think you know a combination of both is a, probably a fair assessment. But as as we look at uh, at this passage, as we look at uh, uh, these things, we can look at how the Lord organized them, how He instructed them, but also how and then we can see some application for our own lives today. And uh, you can see the title, The Three Don'ts for Life. Not the, they're not the definitive, <laughs> but it's part what I see here. An interesting way of turning that. We'll see, uh, some, again, some application for our lives. As we pick up the, 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 the story here, as it is, the account in verse 7, just jumps right in and says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. We'll stop there for a moment. Again, the, called them to himself, the twelve, uh, began to send them out two by two. It's interesting that, you know, I don't know about that, that, that phrase, two by two. First, you know, it makes me think of, you know, Noah and the ark. <laughs> he brought in two by two. But it's interesting, there's kind of a flow of Scripture, or a flow through Scripture, a consistency of pairing, partnering uh, together that we see, that we understand. Uh, it's not the first time we've seen that, but, uh, but the first don't that I see here as we look at this is that don't go alone. Don't go alone. Especially when you think of the area of a mission. Uh, being Memorial Day weekend, you can uh, give, allude that to a military application. Now, one of the—I uh, don't know exactly—I never served, 
But those I have, you know, have talked about the idea that they have the idea of the, the battle buddy. And I know for sure that it starts in basic training. I don't know if that continues throughout the entire service or when you go into combat or what. The idea that there's, you're, you've got a buddy, you've got a partner, you've got your friend. And the two of you are responsible for each other. Looking out for each other, helping each other. You know, you know being there for each other. Doesn't always mean you're best friends. <laughs> I'm sure those of you can attest to that. But you know you've got this guy who's supposed to have your back. Okay, you're not alone. You're not a force of one. <laughs> you know, you got a friend, you got a buddy. And those of us who haven't served, we can apply that, you know, maybe field trips. If you think back when you were younger, you know, the buddy system. Who's your buddy? When you go on the bus, you got your buddy. Okay, who's your buddy? You know, who's your buddy? Where's your friend? You're, you're supposed to be together. Okay, you go forward together. Or swimming. I think of up at Northern Grace Youth Camp. You got your swim buddy. You know, when you're younger, you're supposed to go in. You don't go into the water alone. It's two. You go to two. That way, if there's an emergency, where's your buddy? You're supposed to be aware of where he is at all times. Watch out for each other. Take care of each other. And I think there's a similar thought here, similar application as the Lord sends them out. And we're going to see um, there's a, several reasons for that. As I said already, that there's a consistency in Scripture from the beginning. Even at the very beginning. You don't have to turn there. We all know it. Genesis 2.18, God created Adam. Created everything else. And he brought all the animals before Adam. And he's naming them, and he talked to them. Again, and he comes to the point, there wasn't one like him. In verse 18, God says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. A companion. A partner. A confidant. You're not alone. <laughs> it's interesting that he had to help almost... It put it right in front of his face. At this moment, before Eve, you're alone, <laughs> as it were. At least unique in God's creation. There's nothing like you here until. And it's interesting that God would do that, create a pairing to populate his world, to rule his world, a pair. Not one, but a couple. There's all kinds of messages we could go with that uh, to the reality and the importance and the significance of that from God. But I think just a simple picture of a couple, two, from the very beginning, relationship. And we can see that, that flow through Scripture. Two couple, a partner, in ministries, in, in service. Now, there's some exceptions. You know, some of the prophets were kind of, you know, <laughs> individuals, but that's a unique, eclectic group all of its own to a degree. But, but even Elijah, he was alone, but eventually he got his buddy Elisha, a partner, for a while. We think of David. You know, the king, but for a while there, he even had Jonathan, a fellow, a confidant, a friend, a 
with all that he was facing from Saul, the king, not wanting him around, wanting him dead, he had a friend, the king's son. We can look at example, example. We can look at Paul, our apostle today. How many companions did he have throughout his ministries? Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Luke. Not a lone wolf out there doing his own thing. A partner. Someone to go with you. And there's a lot of practical wisdom to that. If you like, uh, you turn to Ecclesiastes. Keep your finger here in Mark. But this is a, another passage that kind of comes to mind. Uh, when you think of, of a pairing, a couple, partner, you know, two uh, working together, be Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4. Again, this is probably a passage you've heard before. It's not, it's a well-known one. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 9. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Interesting. Uh, Solomon here writing, you know, giving his wisdom at the end of his life, but two are better than one. Again, this kind of a duh moment. <laughs> it's, it's obvious, or should be. You get a lot of practical wisdom there. The idea, again, we see right here, there's a lot of practical application there in the physical protection and benefit of having a partner, having a companion with you. There's protection. You can keep warm together, as it were. You can resist a confrontation. You know, if you're on your own and someone comes up, you know, against you, you know, you know, it's... Not guaranteed what, what that outcome may be, but if you've got a buddy, you've got your partner, you've got your battle buddy with you, the odds are a little better for you. Again, someone watching your back, someone with you to help you. And it's interesting, the Lord in, in, in Matthew 10, verse 16, don't turn there, it says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's kind of the parallel passage to our Mark passage. Said, Therefore, be wise as serpents. And harmless as doves. Then just beware, I send you out as sheep among wolves. He knows what awaits them. But he's going to send them out there anyways. Send them out into that dangerous world. But together. There's physical protection, but there's also even emotional. And that, that part there where it talks about he who falls can lift one up. There's certainly that could be a physical, but that can also be an emotional. You know, fall, hit. If you're out there by yourself, whatever it is, a physical confrontation or just ministry, life in general, it can beat you down. Sometimes <laughs> it just it can just wear on you. Just the, the, the strain of life could just kind of, Push it down. 
and be a struggle, this emotional letdown. If you're on your own, it's hard to encourage yourself. <laughs> but if you've got a partner, you've got a buddy, they can build you up. Come on. It's okay. We'll get through this. It's not that bad. You know, whatever the case may be, that encouragement that comes with having a partner, having someone with you. But even see in the practical side, there's a physical, the emotional, but even the intellectual uh, benefit. I mean, you think of, you know, having a partner, there's an aspect to, to be challenged intellectually. You think of that. Someone sometimes we need that. You get stuck in your ways. You get that tunnel vision of how we view the world, how we see the world, how we understand things. Just think, if Adam was all alone, he only had a man's view, what kind of world would he be living in? <laughs> Again, we could take a lot of applications, steer off into a rabbit trail, but without a woman, it'd be a red green world. <laughs> If you know red green, <laughs> there'd be very little pretty flowers and decorative things and nice smelling candles and whatever. You know, every th- every room in the world would smell like a footlocker. I don't know. It'd be yeah. <laughs> it'd be all right in some ways, but not so good in other ways. <laughs> it'd be incomplete, is what it would be. It'd be incomplete. But even other ways, like I say that. In ministry, you think of Paul and their journeys together with the other men. You wonder, we're never given that. But you wonder the intellectual, theological conversations that they had on the road, you know, during breakfast, lunch, whatever the case may be, you know. I would love to be sitting there with Paul and maybe of Apollos and the conversations that they would have going back to the Old Testament, tracing the, the, the prophecies of the Messiah through to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things like that. Iron sharpening iron. Because again, just like you know, you can get emotionally down, you can get emotionally way, or intellectually wayward if you're all by yourself. Human beings have a bad habit of coming up with strange ideas if no one is there to kind of um, not so sure if that's a good idea. We could think of Peter when he came up to Antioch, and everything was good till some of the James you know, friends came up, and Peter was led astray to distance himself from the Gentile believers. And Paul had to call him out on it. <laughs> Paul had to step in and go, You're playing the hypocrite here, Peter. <laughs> and I'm sure that wasn't easy for Paul. Well, maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> Delivered there, but you can imagine. You know, those. You know, if you've ever had to call someone out, it could be uncomfortable. You don't always look forward to it, but you step up and you do it because you care about this fellow. You care about this individual, and you have to let him know what you're doing is wrong, and this is why. Help strengthen him. Help encourage him. I think intellectually, too, we could uh, think of Aquila and Priscilla, that couple that worked together, that, met, that, that Paul met in Acts 18. 
But again, that couple working together are the ones who ministered to Apollos, who knew a lot, Apollos did. But this couple, a man and a woman, were the ones who came along and taught him a more excellent way, filled in the gaps that he was missing. Again, working together, a partnership to help kind of equip this man, Apollos, into a greater ministry than we're even told completely in Scripture, probably. Again, two, together. And how applicable that is for us, that need to have someone with us, whether it's our spouse or whether it's a partner in ministry, you know, you know, some, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, that image of, of Paul and, and Timothy, the older, the younger, but either or, someone with you together, that buddy, that battle buddy, that swim buddy to go through the trials with you, to help keep you accountable, help keep you encouraged. We need that just as the Lord sent them out two by two. And you wonder, to a degree, it says he sent them out. It says that he sent them out two by two. I partly wonder, as a side note, did he organize them? Okay, Peter, you're with, you know, John, you know, you know, <laughs> James, you're going to go with, you know, Judas. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> Why do I go with him? Man, he's such a tightwad, you know. He never lets you get the good snacks, no. We're not told that, you know, exactly. All we know is that there are two. You're going together, and you are going to help each other, encourage each other, strengthen each other, because it's going to be dangerous out there. It's going to be dangerous, and you're going to need each other. What's interesting, too, is as we go, that's just the first little part. He begins to then instruct them, to give them instruction as to what to do and what to take with them. When you go out, uh, you need the right kind of orders. Again, thinking like kind of a, that military idea. You know, if you're going to go out on a mission, you have to have your orders. You need your marching orders of what you're going to be doing on this mission. What's the goal? What equipment you're going to take? And if you don't have the right orders, a lot of things can go wrong. I think if you've ever, I'm not going to quote the poem, but if you've ever heard of the poem The Charge of the Light Brigade by Lord Tennyson? Have you ever heard the uh, idea that this 300 men uh, on a light horse cavalry in the Crimean War charged the guns of the Russians in the peninsula? One Russian officer was the most magnificent charge he's ever seen in his life. But it was also horrific because of the losses that they took. It was courageous, it was daring, but it was also because they charged the wrong guns. They were, the, the, they were supposed to take these guns that were just captured by the Russians over to the side. But in miscommunication, they thought they had to take the guns that were straight down the valley in front of them. So that's what they did. That were their orders. They charged down the valley with all the guns around them pointing directly at them. They charged. 
and took heavy losses. The thing is, they, they made it there and back. Almost massacred into infamy, all because they got the wrong orders. So we see here the Lord giving instruction and orders to these men. And again, as we look at this, I bring that up partly because we need to be aware again, it's been said many times from this pulpit and others, as we look at the Gospels, we need to be aware these are not our marching orders for today. We look to the Apostle Paul. That's helpful because we can get off. We can be charging down the wrong valley towards the wrong goals and the wrong objectives. And then we wonder why it all went wrong. Because we were following the wrong marching orders. But there's definitely some things we can take away from this and apply to our lives today. It says first, uh, halfway through verse 7, it says, And he gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. <clears throat> and also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. Okay, so these are their marching orders. In some ways it's a bit severe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're kind of going in, you know, very um, lightly equipped, <laughs> to put it lightly. But the first thing we see here in, in verse 7 is that he gave them power over unclean spirits. One thing I think that it authorizes, when you have the right marching orders, it authorizes you for the work or task you are doing. They were authorized. They had been given authority to do this. And that's important. Because again, doing things on your own authority doesn't work out well. <laughs> you just start doing things because you want to. And someone asks you, why are you doing that? Well, because I wanted to. Now that doesn't always go well. We can look at an example. Again, keep your finger here in Mark and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19. I've got a strange sense of humor, and this account always makes me chuckle. Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, uh, verse 13. I'll just start in verse 11. Read down. Acts 19, verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even uh, handkerchiefs or aprons were brought to his body to the sick, or brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14, also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. 
I said, I've got an odd sense of humor, but I kind of chuckle at that. <laughs> Pardon me, because I envision, again, the, the part of the story that isn't told, you know, Skiva, <laughs> maybe at the synagogue or at the gate of the city somewhere, coming up, and the older, older men of the city go, hey, Skiva, what happened to your boys the other day? They had run in a little trouble, huh? <laughs> you know, I can say a little odd humor on my part, but the idea, again, that they, they took it upon themselves. It's clear they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. He was not their Lord. They just thought it was a power, a name, something they could invoke by which they could then get, you know, some kind of a accolade, some kind of note on them. The Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> like that. Well, I know him. And I know Paul. I ain't know you guys. <laughs> Again, taking it upon themselves to, to enter into a ministry, to, to do a work. They were not called to. <laughs> they had not received any orders or authorization or authority to do that. And they paid the price. <laughs> Wean, wounded, beaten, and bloodied. I wonder how long it took them for to live that one down. <laughs> then again, you wonder if maybe that was a thing that they needed to go through to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. We'll only know that when we get into heaven. <laughs> I don't know, but but again, that, the idea that authority. You can't just head off into your own mission, at least not and expect God to bless it. That's what we see back in Mark. He was authorizing these men to this work, giving them the authority to do so. But also, as we see it, also uh, having the right orders or going with your marching orders uh, will explain what you need and how you will be resupplied. Often in, in, in that, you, you are told the type of equipment you will need. I've, again, I've known those I've talked to in the military, in not serving, I always thought that men, the soldiers, were always walking around with their firearms. And I know in certain circumstances and in practice that's true. But in others, no, they're, they're locked away in the armory, okay? You just don't always have it on you unless you're, you're performing guard duty or certain functions that you need it or you're in a combat zone. But growing up, I always thought you just had it all the time. And same with the other equipment. No, it's locked away until you go on the mission, and then you find out what you're going to need, and you are issued certain things. And um, it can be kind of amusing. I talked to my brother. Sometimes uh, you, you have to then return cert all the equipment that you were issued at a different time, <laughs> which can be an interesting uh, experience for them. But the idea, again, you're given certain things so you don't overpack. There's reasons why you're only given certain equipment. It's because the mission you're on, this is what you'll need. You don't need that, you don't need this, but you need this. That is too, that don't overpack, don't be overburdened, don't be weighed down. I only experienced that one on a camping trip one time. I went to visit my brother Matthew out in New Hampshire, and we were going to go up this one mountain uh, out there. And never really doing that type of backpacking excursion, I'm thinking, well, I might need this, and I might want that, and I did this. I don't know how much that pack weighed, but it weighed a lot. 
<laughs> and my legs were never so sore than after that journey. <laughs> they literally, they the, hurt, ached, throbbed for almost two weeks afterwards because we went up, you know, 2,000 vertical feet, winded up and back down again with this overburdened pack <laughs> with way more equipment than I needed and used on an overnight trip. <laughs> Being over-prepared isn't always a good thing. And these men were given specific instructions from the one who knows all. And he tells them here, you know, to take nothing for the journey except a staff, a bag, or no bag, no bread, no copper, <laughs> but to wear sandals. Man, these guys are stripped to the bone <laughs> on what they're taking with them. Part of the idea here, again, is to trust in the one who sent you. And you'll get what you need when you need it. Again, that can be a little bit of a scary place to be. That idea of walk by faith, not by sight. You don't need all that. This is all you need. And we think, again, in in our own lives, in our own ministry, when we think of, of... us today in our marching orders. Because again, that could be a a great challenge. But if we launch out sometimes with that idea that, okay, all right, it says right here. You know, no money, no bread, no nothing, just go. (laughs) Well, again, in this dispensation today, you may run into some trouble with that. I'm I'm not saying the Lord isn't going to provide But again, this was sometimes these guys' specific orders for their specific mission at their specific time. (laughs) And we try to use that same method, that same marching orders for us. Eh, (laughs) It may not go so well. So let's take a look at a couple things that how Paul approached this ministry. Just... um, Again, keeping your finger here, if you'd like to flip up to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians 4. Take, um, 4, 13. Yeah, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 19. Or 13, I'm sorry. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, we see, again, kind of almost going back for a moment in that idea of partnership. 
working. Paul had partnered, again, the, the, the Philippian believers were working with him, helping him, meeting his needs. Often today, the, the God works through supplying, meeting those needs through other believers. It's not the same way like Elijah who was fed by birds. <laughs> Again, I don't, I'm never going to discount God or put him in a box say it won't happen. But if you're sitting somewhere expecting it to happen, well, you may get hungry, just saying. <laughs> you may want to bring a snack. But God will meet your needs. It's just in this time, in this place, in this dispensation, he's going to meet it this way. He's going to move through other believers to meet that need. And also we could look at other parts where Paul talks about he, he worked again. He didn't completely depend. He knew he wasn't going to put a burden on anyone else. He had skills. He had capabilities. He would use them to meet his needs and sometimes to meet the needs of others on his ministry team. Again, God equips. God moves to, to meet that need. And I know many of our men here can attest to that, why God uh, gave them the skills, the occupation they had during ministry. Well, he was meeting needs for their families while they were still ministering. God will always meet needs. It's just how is he going to meet the need in this time? And we need to understand our marching orders for today. And thankfully, God wrote them down for us so we can know. Doesn't leave us guessing. <laughs> Doesn't leave us wondering. He tells us. But back in Mark, as uh, we come to the, you know, without hitting every, every point here, we come to the last don't that I see here. And it can be the, kind of the last or the hardest don't that I have on this list. Because in verse 11, it said, And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you, de- when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Hmm. <laughs> this last don't I have here is, don't be afraid to walk away. Don't be afraid to walk away. And that's hard because one, again, in a military, is the idea, it's, I think a fight man, no one wants to run from a fight, <laughs> as it were. I think no one likes the idea of retreat. They want to win the battle. They've been there. But even those for not, it's hard to step back. If you're ministering to someone, if you're trying to reach someone, the idea of walking away from them, it feels too much that you're turning your back on them. And it's not the case. But there comes a point, it's like the Lord saying, you don't have to fight a losing battle. The Lord never calls us to fight a losing battle. One, ultimately, it is his battle to fight. And part of that is for your own well-being. 
we've ever been to that point where you just feel like you're talking to someone, you're reaching someone, you're trying to uh, reach someone with the truth. Whether it's the gospel or whether it's a doctrinal error or truth or just practical wisdom. And they won't hear it. They won't accept it. And you've been there and you've done it and you've beaten your head against the wall time and again. Like the Lord says, you don't have to do that. There comes a time you have to shake the dust off your feet and let it go. And I say that's a tough one to do also because if it's someone you know, it's someone you care about, again, you don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're turning your back on them. You want to reach them. Sometimes that's exactly what they need. It's exactly what they need. This can be difficult but necessary, even for their benefit. I'm just going to read from 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. Paul writing to Timothy says, This I charge, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered have suffered." Shipwreck, of whom are Hemonias and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, that sounds harsh. Turns them over to Satan. But what's the purpose? That they may learn not to blaspheme. That they may learn. That they may turn from their ways. And we see back in, in, in the Lord's orders, his commands to them, and what to do in that, to shake off the dust of their feet. It appears in something like that that, that was a very well-understood symbolic gesture. You see, even, even Paul did that at one time. I think it was in Antioch of Pisidia. The Jews wouldn't listen, wouldn't hear, so he shook off the dust and moved on. It seemed a well, a well understood gesture. That you are rejecting this, I'm moving on, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm free of this. I'm leaving you to your own devices. Clearly understood. And two, I don't think it was the kind of thing that they would have done, you know, kind of quietly, you know, out of sight <laughs> as they went out of town, kind of ducked around the corner and kind of knocked the dust off and went. Seems to me it would have been very public, very evident. <laughs> Again, because he says here that it will be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment or more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Again, when you think of the words that the Lord uses there, they're strong. They're they're powerful. The imagery that he would invoke Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment against these places. 
seemed to be, again, that well understood that everyone knew, without saying it, Sodom and Gomorrah. That was like the, like, <laughs> them's fighting words. Well, you're comparing us to that. No, I'm saying you're worse than that. Because if they would have heard and seen what these men did in your town, they would have repented. That's how hard your hearts are. They're thinking this, the Lord is telling them what I see here. That the people of those towns, they won't have any excuse when they stand before the Lord. There'll be no place but say, we didn't know. We had no idea that those guys, that that was, that's what that was about. Yes, you did. And again, I see that consistent throughout Scripture. God always, his mercy, his grace, his long-suffering. As he said, I will not contend with man forever. Your rejection, your rebellion, at some point it's going to come to a head. And it's been said, and I think rightly so, the most fearful words any person will ever hear one day when God tells them, all right, your will be done. You didn't want me, you don't ever want me, then you're never going to get me. And they will head off into a Christless eternity. That will be a terrifying moment for those individuals. Again, because they will know we had our opportunity. We had our chance, and we said no. And again, but at the same time, again, that can be what some people need. I said that some people need to be that you know that 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 love, that compassion, that love to draw them to the Lord. Some people need a good swift kick or slap upside the head. And I'm sure we can all think of a few. The thing is, the only thing, the only one who really knows is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Which ones need that? But as we come to this, that it, there does come a point, and while it can feel like giving up, it can feel like retreating. It is anything but. It is anything but? I'm going to quote a. Uh, uh, Quote, General, uh, Marine General Oliver Prince Smith. He served during the Korean War. Uh, some of you who know the, the history of the Korean War, I'll try and be brief here. <laughs> but anyways, as General MacArthur took over, they were pushing the North Koreans back across the 38th parallel and they had them on full retreat all the way up the peninsula and warnings kept being, you know, kind of muttered, whispered that they thought that maybe the Chinese were massing on the border. They better be careful because if they push too far, they may enter the war. Well, unfortunately, that is what happened. They pushed up close and almost one million Chinese came flooding across the border and caught the Allied troops, mostly American, uh, kind of unawares. And the 1st Marine Battalion in particular was surrounded at the Chosen Reservoir. And they, had to, and they had to pull back. And General Smith was asked about the retreat. He said, retreat? Ha! 
We're just advancing in another direction. <laughs> and there's the fighting spirit of him. But often that's the case for the believer as well. What may feel like with the treat, what may feel like a withdrawal is just an opportunity to advance in another direction. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. That's our battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness. I think as we go forward equipped with the truth of the gospel, truth that can set people free, empowered with the Holy Spirit to equip us to meet our needs, We have all that we need in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you at this time, we just thank you for being the God who you are. We thank you for the God who calls us, sends us, equips us, and blesses us. We pray that throughout our lives we may be ever dependent on you, trusting in you, and allowing you to use us for your glory, that others may come to the knowledge of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray.